Hi everybody, I'm Emma Houghton, and you're listening to 30 Teams in 30 Days on the Did You Hear podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. We are one day away from April 1st, which is opening day of the 2021 Major League Baseball regular season. I will spend each day in March previewing all 30 Major League Baseball teams in alphabetical order. So today is March 31st, and I continue on with the San Diego Padres. So as you can tell, I did not get through all of the teams, all 30 of the teams in March because I took weekends off. So I have about seven more teams. I'll get me through one more week. And that can kind of be nice, actually, because I'll get you some perspective on your favorite team as the roster really has been finalized and we've seen a few games under these players' belts. But for the last day of March before opening day tips off tomorrow on April 1st, I have a really special team to talk about and it's the San Diego Padres. This team, I have done my fair share of podcasts talking about these teams throughout the month of March. I have done a fair share of real rebuilding pods, and I have done an even fewer amount of successful rebuilding teams, but the Padres absolutely take the cake on this one. The first pitch of the season hasn't even been thrown yet, and A.J. Preller already has won executive of the year in my book. What A.J. Preller has been able to do with this club to bring them from literally the laughing stock of Major League Baseball to now a perennial contender has been absolutely magnificent. So as usual, I'll go through the history of the past few years, an off-season wrap-up, position battles, starting pitching, relief pitching, bench prospects before I finish with the Pakota standings and my philosophy on this team and this Padres one might surprise you. So it had been a rough go of things for the entire Sandy for the entire San Diego fan base. They lost the Chargers a few years ago. The Padres have been terrible in recent years. In 2020 they really turned the tide. They finished 37 and 23 and the team got its first playoff berth since 2006. All of its misfortunes before that, it got a little bit easier now that this team is finally so good and seems to have its direction and its players locked down. And talking about locked down, I'll be talking about that a lot in a little bit. But in 2019, just quickly to talk about how low this Padres team really was, 2019, they had 70 wins and 92 losses. They finished last in the NL West. They finished last again in 2018 with 66 wins. And they finished third in the NL West in 2017 with 71 wins and 91 losses. In its, since its inception, the Padres have made it to just six playoffs in 52 years. They have the worst winning percentage of any team in MLB history, which is unbelievable, and everything changed, I would say, in the last few months of 2019 when the Padres starting putting together an absolute powerhouse. And if it weren't for the pretty much video game simulation right as a division rival in the Dodgers, the Padres would have the best team in the majors. So let's get into their offseason and the reason why they're in such a good position. They signed multiple They signed a Cy Young winner, a Cy Young runner-up, a Cy Young candidate, and a bunch of other really good position players. So that's Blake Snell, who won the Cy Young back in 2018. 
Hugh Darvish, who finished second in NL Cy Young voting this past year. Joe Musgrove, who's been successful with the Pirates. They also brought over Victor Caratini, who was Hugh Darvish's personal catcher in Chicago. They ha- they signed Hasung Kim over from the Korean Baseball Organization. And they also re-signed Jerks and Profar, who will be a very versatile bench option for the Padres this year, but was will be very financially secure, to put it lightly. And really, the only main departure they had was Mitch Moreland, who they brought on at the trade deadline last year. But because the NL no longer has a universal DH this year, Moreland's bat really wasn't essential to this Padres team, and that's why he went to the A's in free agency, because he will have a DH spot over in the American League. So now let's talk about these positions, and unfortunately, like I said, because we're so close to opening day, a lot of these rosters are set. In the Padres' case, a lot of injuries have derailed their perfect, ideal opening day roster, and it starts off at catcher. So Austin Nola, he was part of a seven-player trade with the Mariners last year around the trade deadline. He will start on the IL with a finger injury. He might truly only be on the IL for a very short period of time. Reports had said that he would be ready on or around opening day. It won't be on Thursday opening day, but this guy is so tough. He played through a broken foot last year. It seems like he'll be okay with this finger injury. So in his absence, Victor Caratini will start, and that works well because Yu Darvish has been named the San Diego Padres opening day starter. So it'll be Darvish on the mound, Caratini behind the plate, and while he's definitely known as Darvish's catcher, he makes a name for himself at the plate. He had a 751 OPS across his two seasons with Chicago, and I think he now complements Nola nicely in the backup catcher role. Now I move over to Eric Hosmer. And it's it's really funny because now in this star-studded lineup, Eric Hosmer seems to just fall further and further out of relevance amongst names like Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado. Even somebody like Jake Cronenworth seems to have a higher ceiling than Eric Hosmer. But I think it is worth noting that Eric Hosmer's contract back in 2018 was the first sign of a shift in the Padres organization. Preller and company signed Hosmer to an eight-year, $144 million contract. At the time, it was the largest deal in Padres history. It has since been greatly usurped by Machado's contract and then by Tatis's contract. But when the Padres signed Hosmer to that magnitude of money, he was a great hitter. He was part of the Royals World Series runs. He had a great reputation around the league. He could hit. It really showed that the Padres were going all in. And I think that was a really important moment. Hosmer might not be their most important player anymore, but when the Padres signed him all that money, when they went in on him, I think they put the league on notice and said, we're around, we're here to stay, we're going to compete, and they're going to try and change their otherwise miserable history of losing. Hosmer has been kind of the key in the cog of what the Padres have turned into. And I think that's really important, even as Hosmer isn't the most valuable team on this, valuable player on the team this year. Now let's move over to Jake Cronenworth, who as I was doing research for this podcast, I realized that he was almost valued as highly as Shohei Otani because in in college, he was a two-way player. He actually pitched 
in the Rays minor league system along with hitting. And it was only when Cronenworth came over in the Tommy Pham trade that sent him and Tommy Pham from Tampa Bay to San Diego for a couple of guys that the Padres really just focused on him hitting and because he is so versatile in the infield. So 2020 as a rookie, I mean, this kid hit 285. He slugged 477. I think what makes him even more valuable, he saw time at every single infield position. He can back up Tatis if he's ever hurt, which unfortunately we've seen a little bit too much of. He can back up Machado. He backed up Hosmer last year when he was hurt. He also has spent time in spring training playing every single position. Again, Cronenworth isn't the sexiest name on this roster, but if he lives up to the potential that a lot of executives saw in him, he could be a breaking point and maybe put the Padres over the Yankees or the Braves, in my opinion. So he's another key cog. And now I get into, in my opinion, the best left side of the infield in baseball. Third baseman, Manny Machado, and shortstop, Fernando Tatis Jr. So Hosmer had the biggest contract in 2018. In and and, uh, 2019, Manny Machado signed one of his own. 10 years, $300 million signed in 2019. He and Bryce Harper were among two of the most coveted free agents that year. There were rumors about the both of them going to San Diego, which would have been insane. And then Machado really just went out. And he his, his reputation actually took a toll. And I don't think people talk about this enough because he played so well in 2020. On the Orioles, and then when he went to the Dodgers at the trade deadline, Machado had a bad reputation. And he was seen as lackadaisical on the field. He didn't run out his hits. He didn't try as hard in the field. I think he's really shed that and has built himself into this mentor role now for the young players like Tatis and Cronenworth and Trent Grisham. So Machado, he has the numbers now. He finished third in MVP voting last year behind Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman in the National League, which is pretty elite company. And I think his numbers continue to get better. And the same could be said for the phenom Fernando Tatis Jr. This offseason, he signed a 14-year, $340 million deal, fully guaranteed, no opt-outs, and it is the longest major league contract ever. This guy has not played a full season of baseball and the Padres just locked him down for 14 years. When you think about it like that in the simplest terms, it's truly mind-boggling. But then when you watch him, it becomes less and less crazy and more and more reasonable because if the Padres have any chance of staying relevant, especially in the NL West with the Dodgers, they need Fernando Tatis locked down. They didn't want to leave anything up to chance. They wanted to keep him forever. And while he's only played 143 career games, if you can kind of put the 2019 season and the 2020 season together, his full stat line is way above league average. In 2020, in a shortened season, he had 17 homers, 53 RBIs, and 11 stolen bases. Talk about a five-tool player. Fernando Tatis has everything. He does have an injury history and he's still extremely young. So rumors were kind of floating around that maybe he would change his game a little bit. Maybe he wouldn't slide head first so often. Maybe he wouldn't run with this just reckless abandonment. 
But if he toned any of that down, then we lose the allure of Fernando Tatis Jr. And he is vehemently against that. He's going to continue to slide head first. He's going to continue to score on pop-outs to second base from third. He's going to continue to swing at 3-0 pitches. Fernando Tatis Jr. is single-handedly changing the game of baseball for the better. Now we move to the outfield. Again, another injury has changed things. So I think if Trent Grisham had been ready for opening day, it would have been Tommy Pham in left, Trent Grisham in center, and Will Myers in right field. Because Trent Grisham is starting the season on the IL with a hamstring injury, Tommy Pham will start in left, and Jurickson Profar will start in left. Pham in center, Profar in left. So Tommy Pham, I'll just mention... He's He was very, very good in Tampa. Again, he came over with Cronenworth in that trade for Hunter Renfro and Xavier Edwards. He described himself at 80% physically in the last few seasons, and that's not good because you don't trade away a prospect like Xavier Edwards for a not fully healthy Tommy Pham. And honestly, Jay Cronenworth on his own might have made this deal a good trade if, if you want to cut it down to something as simplistic as that but they really need Pham to be healthy. He did not do very well in spring training at all. He is getting older, so he's losing the speed, but that's not the only thing that makes him a great player. So the most important thing for Tommy Pham in 2021 is just to build himself back up to 100%. Because when Trent Grisham is healthy, you've got an absolute stud in center field. He was a 2020 gold glove. He also earned the very niche title of being one of the most patient hitters in baseball. He only chased 18% of pitches outside the zone, which is really elite categories for him. It's an elite tier of hitter that has that much control, especially being as young as he is. Already, probably the worst thing of Grisham's career has already happened. When he was on the Brewers, he made that blunder in right field that allowed the Nationals to steal the game away from the Brewers 4-3 in the wildcard game in 2019. The Nationals went on to win the World Series in that year, but still, it was just such an unfortunate moment for a young guy like Grisham to make an error like that that scored the winning run. But since then, all he's done is just been another cornerstone of this young Padres team that's turned the franchise in the right direction. And then Will Myers, at this point, he's the vet, right? And in 2020... He was he had his best hitting season in 2020 as he did since he won the Rookie of the Year award in 2013. So him, like Machado, I think the production is going to continue to be there. When he hits really well, this lineup looks even more dangerous. So I think it's important for him to keep up the offensive production from 2020. But again, this, this offense is still pretty fine, even if Will Myers goes back to hitting about league average. <laughs> And then the bench. So Jerickson Profar, like I mentioned, he will be starting because of the Grisham injury. He got re-signed this year. I think he's a really essential bench versatile option for this Padre team that unfortunately I think has to account for some injuries. Hopefully they're not too Machado or Tatis or Cronenworth, but you definitely have to account for them. You also have Hassan Kim. This, I want to talk about it more when I talk about the pitching, because that was when the big splashes were made. But in a year where every team was recovering from the COVID-19 financial implications, and when the offseason was otherwise relatively quiet on the trade market, AJ Preller went out there and just got everybody. 
And Hassam King was one of those guys, a versatile infielder who played in the KBO four years, $28 million. He struggled in spring. I don't think anybody should hold it against him because he is adjusting to a lot more than just major league pitching, most notably the lifestyle change that it takes to move from Korea to San Diego. So definitely give the guy some credit. He's on the opening day roster, and I think he sees a lot of time too. And then now let's move on to starting pitching. So I think this Padres starting rotation was in a very good spot before they added a former Cy Young winner, a Cy Young runner-up, and an opening day starter for another franchise. Last year, San Diego pitchers combined for a 26.2 strikeout rate, which was good for fourth in the majors. Like I said, you Darvish's opening day in 2020, he had a 201 ERA, 76 innings pitch, which was one of the highest in all of majors, a 223 FIP, and 11 Ks through nine. I personally think he fell off a bit towards the end of the season. If it had just been maybe his up to seven outings, he probably would have run away with this award, but he, he kind of faltered down the stretch. I mean, you, you really can't say enough about the arsenal of pitches that you Darvish has. I personally am not betting on him to have that much success in the next three years. He's he's 34 now. I think this year could be really strong. And then I think he seems to... He, he is prone to decline a bit just because of age. But his stuff is just so good. And he continues to make hitters look absolutely silly. His actually, his career 500 strikeout was against Will Myers, who is now his teammate. And Myers, as you can imagine, is very excited that he doesn't have to go up against Darvish anymore as an opposing hitter. Now we go to a former Rays ace, Blake Snell, who will slot in as the number two starter for the Padres. Again, in 2020, 3-2-4 ERA. His FIP was 4-3-5. He did strike out over 11 hitters through nine. Here's here's what I think about Blake Snell. He is a former Cy Young winner in 2018. He had a career year. He cracked 130 innings pitch, which is the only time he's done that in his career. Longevity is something that the Padres are going to have to test because Snell was not given a full leash in Tampa Bay, and we saw the perfect picture of that when manager Kevin Cash pulled him out in the in game six of the World Series against the Dodgers, the Rays went on to lose that game and also the series. And I don't think you, you... You can go back and forth, and obviously there are so many opinions about what the right decision was and whether Cash should have pulled them because he had been playing so well. If you go and listen to the episode that actually dropped on Wednesday with ESPN Paul Hembikidis, he likes Cash's move. And he thinks that if Cash, in an, on, in an honest moment would have done it again because the Rays are so driven by analytics. It's what got them to the World Series in the first place. They're not going to go away from it in one of the most important moments of the game. So that being said, Snell didn't pitch a full six innings once last year. Yes, it was a shortened sample size, but that is a significant number. In his career, he hasn't completed eight innings pitched. It'll be really interesting to see how the Padres ramp him up in terms of innings pitched this season. A, because they're coming off the shortened season, and B, because Blake Snell's never had that before. I think he's the type of guy who's just kind of a bulldog. He wants the ball as often as possible. 
but maybe because he's become so accustomed to it, he's not that type of pitcher anymore. I still think he is the ace of this staff. I think he is a tick better than you, Darvish, and I think he can revert back to that 2018 Cy Young form, but I think it will be very contingent upon how many innings he can throw in any given game. So that'll be really interesting to watch. I personally think that is the most compelling storyline of this Padres starting rotation, but you have a bunch of other ones to take into account. So you also brought the the Padres also brought on Joe Joe Musgrove this offseason. He's a career 96 ERA plus guy. He started for the Pirates the past few seasons. They have Chris Paddock in the rotation, who was at one point one of the top pitching prospects in the game. And he is now just completely in the shadows of the three guys I just mentioned, plus the prospects waiting in the wings in Adrian Morijan, Ryan Weathers, and Mackenzie Gore. So I definitely think that top four right now is set in Darvish, Snell, Musgrove, and Paddock. When Denelson Lamette is healthy, he will be that fifth guy. I actually think he's the third guy, and then Musgrove and Paddock will follow him. Right now, Lamette is on the IL with a an elbow injury, I believe. He hurt his elbow last spring. He only pitched twice in spring training. They're definitely not going to rush him back because he's so important to this operation. He finished fourth in NL Cy Young voting last year. Again, innings pitched is another issue for him. Career high was 114 four years ago. So they are not rushing back Lamette in any way. And luckily for the Padres, they have a lot of other depth to work with while he recovers. And another guy that you have to mention who is out for the entirety of this year because of Tommy John, Mike Clevenger. Legitimately next year, <laughs> the Padres rotation will look like this. Hugh Darvish, Blake Snell, Mike Clevenger, Denelson Lamette. Is that four? Snell, Darvish, Clevenger, Lamette, and maybe either Joe Musgrove or Chris Paddock. Or some of the top prospects in the game in Mora John Rothers and Gore, like I just mentioned. So it seems like right now Weathers and Morajan actually outpitched Mackenzie Gore for that roster spot. So Mackenzie Gore has been optioned. He will definitely see time throughout the season, but not on opening day. Ryan Weathers will most likely see more time in the bullpen, at least to start the season. He's pitched just 115 professional innings since he was drafted in 2018, but he has really just shot up the prospect leaderboard, really, because he's so talented. And that is why I think the fifth-day starter for the Padres, while they wait for Lamette to return, will be Adrian Morajan. This starting rotation is so stacked It overshadows, I think, the one weakness on this team. And I actually think the Dodgers and the Padres share the same weakness. It's relief pitching. They went out and they added a few guys. I actually meant to say this in the additions part of the offseason recap, but the other names just completely dominated it. They added Mark Melanson, the Arda, Keone, Kayla. Drew Pomeranz is still there. I mean... Drew Pomeranz spent a lot of time in Boston. He has kind of flip-flopped between different organizations. In 2019, he struck out 15.4 hitters through nine innings. And in 2020, it was 14th Ks through nine. Unbelievable numbers. Emilio Pagan, they're hoping he can rebound. This is his fourth team in four years, but the guy is still young. And then they picked up Mark Melanson, who I believe is extremely underrated. 
He saved for the Braves last year. He was the closer. Sometimes he kind of implodes, but you could say that about Josh Hader, who's the best reliever in the game. So I think that was a nice pickup. Underrated, of course, but a nice pickup for the Padres, especially because they don't have Kirby Yates anymore. Again, it's definitely a weakness for the Padres just because every other aspect of their roster is so insanely stacked. But you still have a lot of talent in Ryan Weathers, like I mentioned, some combination of Mora John Gore, Pomerantz, Pagan, Keela, Melanson, etc. So now before I start off on the team philosophy, let's go through some of those prospects. The most insane way to sum up this offseason is that the Padres acquired Joe Musgrove, Yu Darvish, and Blake Snell, and still have four prospects on MLB's top 100 list. They gave up their pitcher, Luis Patino, in the Blake Snell trade. That was the cornerstone of their deal. Patino was major league ready, a huge blow for them. But the Padres still have Mackenzie Gore, CJ Abrams, who comes in at number eight, he's a shortstop, Luis Campusano, catcher, number 45, he's actually on the opening day roster, and Robert Hassel, an outfielder at number 62. They also still have Ryan Weathers and Adrian Morijan. It's unbelievable. Preller is a magician for being able to pull this off. I think it says just as much about the direction the Cubs are going is in they didn't get any major league talent, anybody ranked in the top 100 for you, Darvish. And Snell, it was a bit more even because they got Luis Patino back for their former Cy Young winner. But still, for the Padres to be this stacked at the major league level and to have this plentiful of a farm system is insane. And that is why they are the second best team in baseball. Unfortunately for them, they are in the same division as the best team in baseball. Pakoda has the Padres at 95 wins. And when I first saw that, I balked a little bit because this, this team is still the Padres, right? Two years ago, they only had 70 wins. But since then, they've gotten Manny Machado. They've gotten all their young guys in Cronenworth and Grisham. Fernando Tatis Jr. has blossomed into a star of the game. They've got all these new pitchers. They have all these young arms that are ready. I'm convinced now that the Padres are going to go over. I think they are going to be in the 96 to 100 win range. I believe the Dodgers were at 104 wins and I went over on that. So they literally could be six games out of first place in the West, but still earn a wild card berth. I think the comparisons between the Padres and the Dodgers are coming too soon. I don't think the Dodgers, excuse me, I don't think the Padres have proven themselves enough yet. I don't think Fernando Tatis has proven that he can go a full 162. And the reason why he hasn't been able to prove that is because he hasn't even had the time yet. So I'm really looking forward to seeing a full season of Tatis. And I'm really, really, really looking forward to seeing what this pitching staff can do, both starting and relief pitching. Because I think if relief pitching can get better than the Dodgers core, that might be what puts the Padres over the edge. They might not have guys that are as good as Bellinger and Muncy and Justin Turner and all the other guys on that squad, even Will Smith. I think if you go position by position, the Dodgers still have an edge in a lot of those categories. But the Padres are just going to keep chiseling away, and they showed that because even though they're behind the best team in baseball 
in one of the most top-heavy divisions in baseball in a year where nobody was spending. A.J. Preller went out and had a historic offseason, and I think the fruit of that labor, labor will result in a 95-plus win season and some real playoff success for this Padres team, led by the face of baseball, the young phenom, Fernando Tatis Jr. So, truly, I, I, they run away with the title of most exciting team to watch. This Padres team is going to have everything, and they are just going to be so, so, so fun to watch. I'm going to have to start waking up later so I can stay up later to try and watch some of these games on the West Coast. That's another thing that Paul Hembikitas talked about yesterday, but this team is truly going to be must-watch TV. So that'll wrap up my season preview of the San Diego Padres. As always, make sure to check out the link in the bio of this episode for any season previews that you missed while they were being published on SoundCloud before being moved over to the Did You Hear podcast feed. Thank you for listening, and make sure to tune in tomorrow on opening day for a San Francisco Giants season preview.